0: Welcome to the art and science of complex sales. This is a podcast where we explore how the best B2B sales leaders make the complex simple, drive relationships and revenue, and generally elevate the sales profession. In this podcast, we're bringing together sales experts, thought leaders, top account executives, buyers, industry insiders, all to share their experiences and best practices for navigating the complex sales cycle. So whether you're a seasoned sales professional a sales leader are just starting out, you're gonna find practical insights and actionable advice that you can apply to your own sales journey. Plus, we have a bit of fun. Today we welcome best-selling author of the Sales Innovation Paradox, Dr. Howard Dover. Director for the Center for Professional Sales at the University of Texas, Dallas, a founding member of the Sales Enablement Society, and a leading voice in the need to drive sales transformation in the B2B realm. His research and actions are critical in helping companies understand and empower their top resource, their people. Dr. Dover and I dive into critical topics ranging from driving the next generation of salespeople to truly helping sales reps through right-sized technology and transformation. So let's get started with Dr. Howard Dover. Dr. Dover, I'm so excited to have you on the Art and Science of Complex Sales. Welcome. Thank you. Great to be here. We got to dive into your recent book. and Like I just said, I told you when we were prepping I spent the last week engulfed in this and I I had a chance to read it all the way through and I'm loving the concepts that you put out there. But you gotta take the step that everybody else takes on this podcast. I gotta ask you to dive in very first question. And Dr. Howard
1: Dover, define sales. So you're asking an academic, so you better watch out. So (laughs) how many bullet points do I get? So let's let's take it on the The definition of the line item on the 10K, which is revenue, right? So that's sales. I'd like to take it from the angle of what is the need for sales. And I think that's a little bit more interesting because when we identify, if marketing is working, if people know how to buy, don't they just buy, right? So then we don't need sales. It's when the customer either has uncertain information or no information that we have a need for a intercept of sharing value information and bringing a person to a point they can't achieve on their own, then we need sales. So I don't know that I defined it, but I think I described why we Uh, need it. No, I love it.
0: We get to, when we're bringing people to a point that they, they, they can't achieve on their own. Then we need yeah. sales so is that because of a do you believe that's because of a gap in uh like where the gap is it is it a gap in marketing that we give them is it a gap in knowledge of the individual that um of the buyer or is it simply a function of being human
1: well i think i think it depends on the different scenarios right if we're an individual buyer versus a, a corporate buyer let's say in the corporate space and say Um, Element number one is I'm just not aware of my problem, um, let alone your solution. Or I am aware of the problem, I'm not aware of your solution. So we'd have to say that's probably a gap in marketing and that'd be what's the need for marketing. And then there's the, you know, we we talked offline about Matt Dixon's uh, great new book on Jolt and his customer indecision problem. And that is that I I know I'm interested, but I'm having a hard time getting a complex sale done. So I may need somebody's help to come in and not sell me, but help me buy. And uh, because they've done buying before, they've coached other people to buy this product. So I actually know what you're going to go into. I know what you're going to run into. And this is around some of the Gartner work on sense making and some of the other things around just helping the buyer understand what they're about to run into. So I take away some of the uncertainty and I help them traverse a very expensive process that I'm about to endeavor on, that if that cost isn't mitigated, uh, the cost is greater than the benefit and I just simply won't buy.
0: In your time as an academic in this field, have you seen a transfer of, we've all seen a transfer of features and benefits to, you know, being have to, be able to be pitch perfect to, you know, truly understanding the buyer and and that helping them buy, like what has been the, in your book, you outline, you outline the transformation of the past, essentially 20 years of both the buyer and seller and the technology that goes along with it. But trying to be concise on a question and I'm failing, have you seen that, that massive shift, even in how we message and communicate because of the function of what the buyer needs?
1: I, yeah, but I think the gist of your question is, has the buyer changed? And That's and the gist of the question, yep. And I think the answer is clearly yes, the buyer has changed, right? And so it, it's a combination of factors. Number one is, as everybody listened to the Challenger sale way back when, they told us we needed to put insights out there. We needed to be digital. We needed to put you know lots of content. We needed to have thought leaders out there. So we, we have enough content out there now. So the buyer knows enough, but the buyer stay, sits in a state of, okay, so now 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 it comes down to the question of what does the seller bring to the table? and And I think the challenge is that the best sellers bring quite a bit to the table. But the vast majority of sellers actually don't bring anything to the table. If we listen to the buyer surveys that are being done. They're actually complaining about the lack of value. I mean, the, this rep-free, the desire is 80 plus 80 plus percent of buyers want a rep-free experience. I, I love people who critique that and say, well, tell me a buyer who wants to be wants to be sold. I think the way I look at that statistic is... Over 80% of the time, when I talk to my buyer, I gain no value. Therefore, I don't want to be talking to someone who doesn't help me or add value. And and that's a pretty damning statistic. Uh, There was a statistic out uh, this last week. I forgot who posted it, so it's always dangerous. But 6% of buyers said that they got some value from the seller. And I thought, wow. I think it was Jen Allen that posted that on a post. And I was like, that's pretty damning of the field. Only 6% of buyers said we brought any value to the table. And so I I think that's the challenge, right? The buyer is saying, hey, I I can figure out a lot of stuff. If I'm going to bring you in, I want you to make it. I want you to be a difference maker. I want you to help me. I don't want you to be an irrelevant waster of my time. Because when you book a meeting for me, I could be doing something else. And if all you're doing is pitch slapping me and, and, and showing me stuff I already knew and trying to hack into something, this hack into something that, trying to do the quick demo when I don't really want to demo. And um, we, we developed some habits over the last 10 to 15 years that we think we know what the buyer wants. And what I like to tell my students is the challenges that as sales, we've designed methodologies and processes, right? We process a buyer. And yet the buyer's on a journey that's irrelevant to our methodology and our process. So that's the, that's the irrelevant spot. So when we actually take a moment to pull back and say, what is the buyer actually thinking? What is the buyer actually doing? And I do, I, I've done workshops on this. It's very fascinating. Then let's do a customer journey map to whatever the decision you're trying to get to is going to be and inevitably what we end up with sales do what's called a touch point map which is how many times do i poke you touch you do something to you because that's what i right that's how i think that's what i do yeah yeah so i get to do something to you that's what this exercise is i have my cadence mindset I have my my strategic idea, I my my account plan. I'm going to do stuff to you, and at no point did I say what was your touch point map. I said what's the buyer's journey. Classic example. Quick story. I did this with all of the fundraising teams for all the Texas universities in Galveston before uh, the co- before COVID broke out, and I had them do this, and they said, you know, it's so you know hey, they, they come to a football game and they buy a jersey and then they give me a million dollars. I was like, it's like, wow, that's a beautiful story. Do you at least give them a beer at the football game? <laughs> jersey what? and a beer. I said, here's here's really what's going on with your alumni. I said, you know what? They woke up this morning and the dog ran away. And then their kid needs to go to piano lessons. Mom Mother-in-law is actually you know, suffering from a disease right now. The cat died. The, you know, One of their children didn't get into the cheerleading. You know, and you need a new car. And by the way, that's just before I got to my coffee shop that I processed this. And I go on and I go on and I said, and by the way, then I get married. I get promoted. I buy a house. I buy a car. I go to a football game and I die. I said, that's my life. Now, if you want to be relevant to me, then we'll talk. But if all you want to do is say, let me touch you irrelevantly and then hope you give me money. You're doing a touch point analysis, not a buyer's journey. How do you think like the buyer? How do you think relevancy? And that's that's the key is how do we become relevant to what the buyer is doing? And, and all the research is showing us the buyer is saying, you are so irrelevant to me. Please leave me alone.
0: Well, I think you—that uh, just hit on something for me. Where you're talking about there are there is a there's a subset, right? A subset of, and I'm going to focus on the B2B sellers that are highly successful, highly engaging, highly really trustworthy. They want to be, but when I start to pull back on the qualities of that subset, I find I find the qualities, and I define them as. Uh, as leadership service and as way and wayfinding. But all of those have the ability to meet the person where they are and be with them and provide value rather, regardless of what product I sell, regardless of what I, what I have, what kind of qualities do you see in those top tier reps that are able to navigate, despite the fact that most people are pushing back against this idea
1: of being with salespeople. Well, you know, it, it, as I was trying to wrap up the book, I, you know, my thought was this was a leadership issue, right? we got to be at the leader uh, on the way down. And COVID hit, which means, I, you know, academia, we had to do all types of things for COVID. So the book got put on hold, and it gave me time to kind of contemplate. And one of the things that happened is some of my alumni started talking to me. And there's one... Specific moment that's kind of key here to answer your question. One of the young ladies had just moved from her first job to her second job. Everybody on her team had between five and 10 years of experience. It was a tech sector job in Silicon Slopes there in Utah. And um, and she showed me her performance for the last 30 days, and she was 10x. Now, she was second quarter into the new job, two years experience out of college. but. Two quarters into the job, she's 10Xing her peers who have been there forever and had more experience. And I said, Can I publish this? And she said, No, you'll get me fired. She goes, I should have never sent you that. Because it was, it was the Salesforce report, right? Yeah. She goes, No, get, you know, please delete it off your phone. Don't do anything. And I said, Will you let me interview you? And she said, I will. And so that started a process where I went out and identified that many of our alumni were producing. Anywhere from 2x if they were SDRs, because they're only getting appointments, right? You can't, sometimes you can't 10x that. Mm -hmm. But if pipeline was available, we saw things as high as 8x and 10x off their peers. And the one thing I noticed about all of them is they had developed the skill to listen to where the customer was and adapt to them. So they were able to assess the situation. And one of the top producers in the world for one of the companies, one of the tech companies, he said, I never do the same thing twice. He said, it, what I'm doing today versus what I was doing three weeks ago is very different. He said, because I've been taught. So I had been teaching these principles that are in the book before I wrote the book. And I said, your customer is in a constant state of shift. They're in a constant state of shift because they're adapting to technology. and." They're adapting to your sales probing they're, by defensive mechanism. So they have a double shift that's going on. And so this, all of them said, I'm constantly adapting to the reaction that my buyer gives me. So I'm agile to my buyer. I'm meeting them in the moment where they're at, not trying to go where they used to be. So
0: how do you take that? So there's we talked about efficiency and effectiveness in this lead up, and I know we got to dive into the book, but how do you take that agile concept then? Because that is the highlight of effectiveness a lot of times, right? That's, but when you are looking to looking to multiply that mm-hmm. across people, is that a talent thing? Is that a technology thing? Is that a how, how do you that's do it? A,
1: that's a great question. In fact, um, right now at UT Dallas, we're we're in a we're, we're calling it a pivot year. We know that the field is drastically changing right now. You know, we've had the end of the financial the VC cliff that occurred in Q4 of last year has mm-hmm. dried up a lot of the SaaS funding, and so the you know the the bar's closed, and uh, people now have to earn their drinks, right? And so everything's going. A little bit different, if not sideways, and then we have generative AI that has arrived on the scene about the same time. So the question is, 12 to 18 months from now, what is sales going to look like? And I, I actually don't have a good answer for that. But what I do have a, a preposition on is what's going to matter? And I think it's going to be this. It's going to be agility. And so we looked at we, we had an epiphany moment last year. We were trying to talk to some students in a prospecting class, and it became very clear to me that even though we were teaching them the concepts of agility, it was running hollow because of the lack of business acumen, because we've just got used to 10 years of not having to give. We haven't had to, right? We don't care. Yep, yep. I'm hacking. Hey, if I can get you to a meeting, I did my job. Hey, if I can get you a demo, get you starting up on a, you know, a small group trying to do this app, I did my job. It was all hacking. So everybody hacked, hacked, hacked. And in the process, we don't have business acumen. We don't understand how businesses make money. Mm -hmm. So now all of a sudden, where this is really coming to a crux right now is, I don't know about you, but 5.5% or 5.2% on T-bills rolling every four weeks is a pretty good rate of return for me. And you just go get your Treasury Direct account and you beat the bank. Now, if I can do that, a CFO is probably doing something a little bit better than what I'm doing. And you have to beat a 55 rolling four-week return. And you used to only have to beat a 0% four-week return. Now, all of a sudden, CFOs are king, and you have to understand how a business operates to even get a meeting. And everybody is struggling because, wait a minute, I know what I'm doing, and yet it's not working. And it's because we don't understand how businesses operate. We don't know. We don't understand how our customers make money. We don't understand how our customers... Why are we relevant to that customer? When I started teaching things, I I was... Visiting, I've been visiting with a lot of people on this. Um, Dave Brock is a big one with Partners in Excellence. We've been we've been talking about this for about a year. Beck Holland uh, with Flip the Script is someone else that we've been talking. And then Jock over at Winning by Design. These are all people that I think we're all trying to look at what's going on and say, Hey, how can we? And John Barrows, you know, how can we how can we harness where we're at to move the field forward to where we need to be. And one of the underlying things is, I said, "Well, you can't teach agility if I don't understand how a business makes money." That's.
0: I've been using different terms, and it's. I, I think this is fascinating uh, the overlap of terms. I, I've been been on this thing and harping around context. because right? yes. I, I came from a communication background. I got that's where I got my <laughs> master's. In so context creates meaning, right? So shared context, the ability to then is a is a big portion of meeting and there's no way that i can under truly understand the problem that you have and you operate in unless i understand the context of the world in which you operate and that requires me to be able to lead myself to be able to say i don't know i must learn and it's which is completely opposite completely opposite to the way that we've operated for a long term long time right? right we've operated with this production line assembly i know you must follow so i know this and then all i need to know is this much and i'm i'm making a i'm on a podcast but i'm making a, an inch way I, I need to know a tiny little problem in your business and i can rinse and repeat that problem a million times but those problems are shifting drastically yes and i what i'm hearing from you is what i'm leading on myself and i'm calling leadership and context but is is really the ability to
1: the ability to understand right as a well, it's, it's two things in my view the first one which is a challenge and this is an area i i'm i'm ignorant on how to create this and whether it's a skill or an attribute of an individual but you have to be genuinely curious Right. The curiosity is something we haven't needed to do. If you're genuinely curious about the person, the business, you're, you're going to ask some great questions around curiosity. Then the challenge that comes next. Is around the ability to analyze that information. And we did a study, I think this was right before COVID or right during COVID. We reached out to LinkedIn and Karen Piesker up at uh, Ryerson University in Canada, myself, Willie Bolander, who's now over at AM, and Peter Kerr, who's, I think Peter Kerr's somewhere up in Canada, well, uh, and John Lister, who was the, the VP of sales at Sales Solutions at the time. We did a, a research study where we looked at all of, I mean, LinkedIn has all the data on what are the skills of the future. And so we, we looked at that and said, okay, what was it? Well, the number one skill that came out a few years ago. Uh, when we looked at all that data, was analytical skill for the future of sales. It's the ability to take... We can turn on tech right now. Mm -hmm. We can turn on tech to do one of two things. Number one, we can automate what a human should never be doing anyway, like sequences. I'll I'll leave that there and move on. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, the second thing that we can do with technology is we can augment the human intelligence and the human capacity. The augmentation is the more interesting game we need to think about. But to be able to augment the human brain, we have to train the human brain to be able to do that kind of work. For example, a great analogy here is when we take technology, take an Iron Man suit. If you've watched the Iron Man movie, it's a great movie and he escapes a prison by by being able to fly but you can run really fast in an iron man suit really really fast and you can jump really really high in an iron man suit so if the only thing you know how to do is run and jump then you're going to run really really fast with the iron man suit or you're going to jump really really high with the iron man suit and what you really need to be doing is learning how to fly because you have the capacity to fly now. And so we aren't even talking about the potential collateral damage that will exist by making those legs run really, really fast. What ends up with the legs at the end of that? Are they you know are they jelly? Or I mean, do you have to take them to the hospital because they can't run ever again? I mean, these are things, right, that when we deploy technology improperly, we actually destroy human capital and human beings. We destroy dreams oftentimes in sales. Because we don't know what we don't know, and then we turn things on. So the opportunity here is, if we can turn on the technology, but now how do we get the mind ready to ask the right questions, be genuinely curious, and then have the analytical skills? We have to be building business acumen. We have to be building business intelligence. So we actually did a project last semester that was kind of fun. We sandboxed this. So I, I wish I could tell you it was an A-B test. It wasn't. We ChatGBT came on the scene and I said, I, I'm going to go with it. This was January. And I said, all right. And we contacted contacted by Lavender. So we got to use some Lavender. Um, you know, So we did AI and AI to do some outbound. And I'm going to tell you one story that tells you where the problem is. So I had my kids generate the email from ChatGPT giving information that's coming from LinkedIn. Now, my smartest kids actually took personality profile data from XIQ and had that feed into ChatGPT, so they even got more relevance. And then they moved it over to Lavender and tightened it up for, right, deliverability and response, and they shipped it out. So here are the results. Previous year, we had a 19% response rate, This year, we added 22% response rate. The upper bound was 36% in the previous semester. It was 47% in this semester. That was the best team. But that's top of funnel. Bottom of funnel, our results were lower. Now, here's one one story. So this kid came up to me and said, hey, I want to tell you something. Travelers, travelers, commercial division insurance, he said, I had no idea what commercial insurance was, let alone travelers. But I saw the director lived in Dallas. So I said, hey, chat if I'm going to send an email to the director of commercial insurance at Travelers, what should I ask him? What would be the things he's thinking about? And it gave him some answers. So he actually sent that email over to the director of commercial insurance for travelers in Dallas. And the guy said, wow, you're really intelligent. Those are great questions. I'd love to jump on a call and have a conversation with you. And then the student arrived on the phone call. <laughs> you got it. <laughs> the student didn't have the business acumen to hold the conversation and the conversation ended quite abruptly. Yes. So this is a classic issue, right? That, The issue is that the technology can get us somewhere, but now we go back to this. We've been in a hack world for 15 years with people hacking this and hacking that and, you know, grow at all cost strategies. Hey, I'm only trying to get an appointment. I'm trying to get a demo. And then we, we enhance their capacity with new tools, which is really powerful. But you know what? At the end of the day, that poor buyer has to talk to the hacker. It's, it's repeating itself in industry right now. And so we looked at it and said, well, huh, that's an interesting aha moment. So we, once again, I said, we, we took a pivot year this year. And we said, you know what? We're going to attack business acumen. we got a project we're doing with with uh, Partners in Excellence and Dave Brock. Where we're using a, a questionnaire he's designed, and we're going to try and explore if we have our students ask key people these key questions, not about, this isn't discovery, this isn't even a demo, it isn't isn't a gap disco, it's it's just deep discovery about, I'm genuinely curious about what you think about in your life and your role and your company, and I just want to learn from you what things you think are going to happen in the future and what the hardest things you've done in the past. And then we're going to see can those students do a better job of doing outbound towards the end of the semester because of the things they learn with the business acumen we built them up with? I don't know what the answer is because we're sandboxing it this semester. It's very sandboxy. Next semester, we'll get serious. But that's the one of the projects we're working on at UTD right now.
0: I got to chat with you on that offline around, around the, when I tell them we're doing yeah, this, we, we got to do it. Cause no, cause it, I got, well, in terms of a, uh, format relative to that and uh, have, have this format that I've been working on relative to this, to the context, right? So if I take context to yeah. business acumen, I'm, I'm going to align those things, but how to, how to develop and, and be able to achieve that context very quickly and easily with anybody from a business leader down to a, down to an end user of a technology, but how we, how we quickly develop that context and then are able to speak to that, which is, I think is the heart of what we do really, what, you know, we need augmentation is amazing for that because it can help me develop that. But then I need to be able to have, I still believe the core currency of business is a really good conversation, right? You can measure yes. that in any statistical analysis. A really good conversation is going to drive things much better than anything else. And yeah, so there, there is a framework for how to do that. But when you make that framework too tight, it constricts and people are not willing to do it. But when you when you give them the context and the ability to think things through, I think that's brilliant. I absolutely love what you're doing.
1: Yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a journey. Once again, we figure the market will settle down about a year from today. And mm-hmm. then we'll get a feel from our partners. What do they need? What, you know, what do they need us to be doing then? And you know, we know that AI is going to be a major part of it. So AI is free, freely used within the classroom on, on multiple dimensions. We actually have our students right now playing with multiple AI platforms to judge their own role plays and ask to be coached. And we're anticipating some breakthroughs with a couple of technology partners that by the end of the semester we will actually have maybe digital twins and, and networked intelligence that actually will give them good feedback. We're not worried about the good feedback today. We're simply saying get used to asking the AI, upload your transcript of your call, ask it to give you feedback in specific areas that you're trying to work on. And it's okay if it's garbage, but we want you to get used to that motion of saying, I'm going to get feedback on my call. So I, I need
0: to take about. you a little bit to your book because that's where we started this and that's where started the interest. But everybody, I would highly recommend highly, highly, highly recommend. We'll put a link to it. The sales innovation uh, paradox. It's a great journey and, on the technology as well as the skills that are, that are critical in developing. But so do you feel that those concepts, and you, pro, you published that, what, in 22? Yeah, it was, it was last year in the end of October. So with the rate of changes going on right now, like it's 23 at the end of October, are the concepts from that more relevant or less relevant given the changes that we're seeing in sales? No, I'd, I'd
1: say chapter one is going to feel a little dated um, okay. just because it was based off the data uh, up to the book. But I think that the the cycles that are identified in chapter uh, three through seven and the history in chapter, I think it's two or three, are still relevant. And then the inertia chapters at the end are, I think, will be timeless. Inertia is not going away. These, these challenges of why we can't get out of the problems we're in. And then the middle chapters... We're actually describing this concept of modernization of the skill in ways that really talk about relevancy and agility. So, yeah, I think that they, you know, it was designed in such a way that it would test, it, it would, it would make it through time. The motivation piece up front uh, would seem a little dated, but this is the value of owning the rights to the book that I can actually maybe go for an update here uh, once we settle. So, but I um. I got on this, I
0: think if we just dove
1: on one topic in the book, I'd be
0: really interested. This tab cycle. Um, So the individual and organizational tab cycles, I found that absolutely fascinating. And it was one of those things that just struck me. It's like, oh, geez, the individual buyer versus the organizational buyer. And these are some of the reasons.
1: Do you mind getting into that concept just as a a teaser for the book? Sure. You know, technology innovation in and of itself is not that interesting. Even even the early level adopters uh, who are trying the technology. So what we really want to look for is adoption. And it, here's a classic example that I, I use when I've, I've been on the stage is uh, when the iPhone came out, I, my wife, I got her an iPhone. And she looked at me and said, I have no idea why you bought me this very expensive phone. I don't really need it. Right, so she, even though she had bought it, she had not adopted the technology yet. She had not adopted the value in it and the breadth of what she could do with it. So it had to be six months later. We we're, you know, we were together, and she looked over at me. And she says, "I just want you to know one thing. Because if you die, I think I'll be okay. But if this thing dies, I need a new one." <laughs> now that's adoption, and it's behavioral shift, right? So she adopted to the point that she began to say, this is an essential piece of my living. She now made this phone a huge part of who she was. So she has different behaviors because of the depth of the adoption. That's the tab cycle. It does operate differently between individuals and companies. The challenge for companies is it's a question of, top down versus bottom up adoption. And and this is where we run into all types of challenges. I used to be an IT, used to be an IT guy that worked for the government, you know. Here we are standard lockdowns, you know, you, you, if you if we don't support it, you don't put it on your machine kind of thing. So I get this. But it's interesting just because I'm pushing it down doesn't mean it ever gets adopted. Go ask any executive who is buying site licenses for any of the SaaS sales technology right now, what's their utilization rate? And they will go, they'll grow livid in their face Mm -hmm. and say, I am wasting hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars of people who won't use the stinking software we bought them. Yep, That's an adoption problem. So even though I've adopted it at the company level, there's no usage at the user level. So the adoption doesn't occur the same way. Now, what's really interesting is when you get a top down, a a bottom up. This would be like Lavender's playing this game, right? You can use my product if you're unemployed. You can use my product. They're trying to get the individuals to use the product at Lavender so that it's a bottom up swell, right? Hey, I'm using Lavender, so you got to let me use Lavender. That's a bottom up. So... There you're getting adoption and actually infection, right? You've got infection going on, but boy, if you ever want to get get uh, your IT people upset, that would be
0: it. Yeah, I just did a talk. Why that hit me so hard is I just did a talk on on uh, this idea of this technology confusion gap, but when people are allowed to. I love letting my, I love the size of organization I'm in right now as a chief revenue officer. It's, it's amazing because I the, I have the ability to let a team, build in leadership into a team and trust them and then let them play, right? Because I'm never going to have all the answers, but if they can self-lead and figure out but some of the stuff that needs and how we tie that into our current thing, we essentially get everybody better. But I run into, like, that's what I'm selling to is I run into that top-down mandate, right? Right. Must be this way, has to be this way, can't not be this way. There is a gap there, right? And it's a big one. And it's a money-wasting gap that I don't know quite how to, I think if you solve it, you'll make billions, obviously. But that is is a gap. Because you need to be able to do both. You need to be able to provide a standard tool set, but allow the opportunity to innovate and multiply based on the gifts that people have and the research that they do.
1: Wow. Well, and, the, and this then comes back to the complexity of the sale, right? Yeah. And when you look at this, um, which I didn't go, it, that, that was, even as I was writing, I was like, wow, I really should bring this back into why, you know, the complexity challenge that this, this very concept of, uh, multifaceted adoption within an org just because I bought it doesn't mean it actually will be adopted by the users who have it that's the reason why it's so hard to sell the software in two different firms because they know that's going to happen yep. and so the, the, it it comes full circle back to the sales cycle to say well this is this is the challenge we're up against the The very tab cycle is the reason we struggle to sell because the adoption is it's not continuous. It's probably discrete jumps, and it, it isn't as simple as individual adoption, and and so that creates this fear. And and I think once again, uh, Matt Dixon came up with you know this great right. I'm I'm really afraid of messing up. FOMU, yes. <laughs> I I bought I bought yes. a thousand seats of this piece of software, and only a hundred people are using it. And I'm on a three year agreement, and. Everybody is mad at me. So now you're going to ask me to look at another piece of technology. No, I messed up. Yeah, I'm afraid of messing up again. And yeah. it's, the tab cycle comes back on the sales side of the fence too. When well, I tie that to the
0: Peloton world as as well, right? So you have both of those things coming. Like the Peloton world is like you're riding. You you think you're riding with somebody else, right? But you're uh-huh. riding by yourself in your home in your jammies, and you don't really have the the interaction and the the team the virtual team is not the team like it, it, sure. we, we try to make it that but it's so much harder to make that decision when you're so distributed hey i am going to we have to cut off cuz we've been going for we've been going for a, quite a while and i, I just want to thank you this has been a fascinating conversation and i learned so much by reading the book and by our previous conversation this one i can't wait to get this out the sales innovation paradox by Howard Dover, PhD, out of UT UT Dallas. And if people want to get a hold of you to discuss
1: this more, can they do that? And is there yeah, a good way? LinkedIn is the best place for me. Okay. Email is a horrible place because of all, right. all the people who are spraying and praying and mechanizing their spray machines. All right. Well,
0: uh, we'll link in with you. I'll make sure I publish a link to the book and I can't wait to the next one. Can I
1: have you back on? Yeah, sure. Sounds great.
0: Okay, I, I definitely want to hear about this this shift over the course of the next year, and because we're all in it, right? We're all living Ooh, it, yeah. and it's the fastest mm-hmm. things have changed. And so I don't. The I one don't hand, know, you, you, can you can love it.
1: Let's talk about this. You may or may not want to use this, but this is where I'm seeing. It. This is where I saw the shift. Okay. We go to national events that are hosted by universities to compete with other universities, and All the way last year, the first national event had 50% less companies recruiting. Last spring, so that was last year this time. Then we moved to spring, it was down 70% of the number of companies showing up at national events where all the universities were showing up. Wow. Um, 70% less companies recruiting. And that's when I said a, co- a combination with uh, I, I call it Jocko's epistle. Jocko wrote an epistle on December 22nd of 2022, saying, "Hey, SAS is over in the way we know it. it." Yeah, it's, yeah, and that was fantastic. I, it's I, you know, he he texted me or contacted me like two days before, and he said, "Hey, Howard, I'm writing a paper." And I'm going to send it to you. And I said, what are you talking about? You don't write paper. I said, a white paper? And he said, no, I'm writing a paper. And I said, okay, whatever. And then on the 22nd, you know, my kids are here. The whole family's here for the holidays. And I go, huh, oh, look at this. Nobody's awake. So I, I look at my email and I go, yeah, oh, look at this. And I, and, I, and I open it up and I start reading it. And I finished it before Christmas. I finished it the next day because I said, oh, my gosh. He is laying out the end of an era, and mm-hmm. what's scary about that is I think he's been pretty spot on. So you know, when you, you bring these factors together and you say, "Huh, everybody just laid off a bunch of salespeople now they're hiring experienced," but you know what's weird is they're just it's musical chairs right now. I've got all the wrong people on the bus. There's plenty of people out there I can hire. So I'm not going to go to colleges anymore. I'm going to go get the experienced people because then I don't have to pay for training. Right? I don't that they're they're experienced. I don't have to pay for training. I don't have to worry about onboarding, so I can kind of gut my enablement people, which they did. Everybody gutted their enablement and their training budgets, and they went for experience, and that's the current cycle we're playing, right? This is the cycle we're in. And I'm just setting my clock. I'm like, so is it Q1 or Q2? It's probably Q2 of next year that everybody goes, oh, crap. That didn't work. And then the phone's going to ring off the hook because they're going to go, I'm sure those universities still have people that they haven't had hired, and it's May, and maybe we can go get some young people. We can train the way we need them because these other people are the people other people fired off their bus. Mm Mm-hmm. So so at some point that realization is going to hit and then training is going to become, I I don't do training, but I told all my friends that do training, I said, you guys are going to be rich real soon. It's going to suck for a while, but soon everybody's going to realize I got to go train people again.
0: Yeah, I think, I think you're right. And one of the things I learned when we started that SaaS business uh, or the sales, as, we call it SAS sales as a service, right? We did a little yeah. play on words, but was hiring the bad habits never helped. Yeah. Like I, I loved taking on an agile, uh, an agile, trainable, ex- excited person that I need. I essentially, we essentially had to create a university. Sure. Like it was a sales university that we just did all the time. That was what we did. We trained every single Wednesday morning. You know, each had coaching every single week. It was just an absolute, and it it got so fun because I had this team of committed and passionate, agile, awesome people. But we never hired the bad habits, right? And that was how we won. I mean, it was really cool. But and when you see all this shifting, it's like it reminds me of two thousand and when I when I first got into sales in two thousand three. I was hired at a company and it, they were, they were trying to go for a round of funding. And so they brought in, they essentially brought in a VP of sales and a whole his eight salespeople followed him. That had okay. all been really successful in the late nineties, but none of them knew how to sell. And so I thought what I thought sales was at that time was fighting over territories and, and yelling at each other and protecting leads. That's what I thought sales was. Like I was like, I hate this. This is stupid. <laughs> I actually want to work with somebody. I don't but that's all they knew how to do. It was like, that's my lead, that's my lead. Oh my gosh, the fights I had to get in the
1: middle of, it sucked. You know, the power the power of knowing how to generate your own pipeline is very real, but the power of being able to close your own pipeline is very real. Then we teach both. We teach you're gonna to have to generate Amen. your own pipeline, you're gonna to have to close your own pipeline and and get ready and and, and so it's interesting. My, my, you know, a lot of the kids in the classes right now, because I am not sugarcoating where I think the world is, and they're like, "So, do you think bots will take over our jobs?" Do you think? I said, "Listen, I don't. I think you guys are going to hit the market right at the moment. The market's hungry for you." Yeah. I said, "Just be glad you're in school right now, because." whatever whatever stuff is going on out there is gonna change so much over the next year. And I said, in my interviews, you know what I'd be saying? I'd say, well, you know, Paul, tell me, you know, I know everything's changing, so I don't wanna be on the team that you're gonna shut down. I wanna be on the team that you're, you're having, be the quick strike, the, the, the Navy SEAL force, that you're okay with them failing and failing and failing until you find what works. That's the team I wanna be on. I don't care if I fail but I don't want to be on the team you jettison when you figure out what's working. <laughs>
0: Dude, those students are lucky to have you. I am so pumped. Hey, thank you so much, Howard, for the, for getting on here and working with us. If people want to reach out to you, they can connect with you at Dr. Howard Dover on LinkedIn. They can also check out your book uh, and find that on Amazon. So that is fantastic. It's a hi- I'd highly recommend the read Um, And it's just been a pleasure, honor to speak to you. So with that, we'll sign off today from the Art and Science of Complex Sales. Have an amazing, amazing day, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to the Art and Science of Complex Sales. This podcast is sponsored by Membrane and our partners from around the globe. Here at Membrane, we believe that B2B sales is at a crossroads. Due to decades of quantity-based prospecting, information overload, and really a shift towards efficiency over service and pitching over leadership in sales, customers are saying, enough, it's enough. They're tuning out average performers and choosing to take most of the buying journey on their own. This results in up and down sales results, forecasts that are all over the place, and salespeople that are half committed due to the fact that they're having poor results and they have an inability to truly connect with customers we believe the road successful companies are taking to combat this is threefold. Number one, training to create leaders and executives across all areas of the team with strong habits and sales methodologies that bring value. Number two, technology. Technology that focuses and helps a salesperson succeed and reinforces great habits, rather than wasting their time on filling out fields for reporting or wasting their time on spamming customers that have no interest in ever buying. Third, talent, and I'm talking about talent that's empowered and emboldened to make a difference for their customers and their companies. So where are you on that journey? Membrane and our network of partners across the globe are here to help and to elevate the sales profession. We streamline critical technology by combining CRM, training, and enablement, and more into one seamless platform. We drive best-in-class methodologies through our partners. They provide the top thought leadership methodologies and resources from across the globe. And our collective efforts are dedicated to recruiting, training, coaching, and empowering and measuring the habits of the top teams in the world to ensure success. Join us at Membrane.com to learn more. And thank you so much for listening.